So you made your movie. You did it. You finally found the you found the cash. You had the idea, right? You started, you had an idea, you wrote down an idea, and you said, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my first film. And then you convinced somebody to pay for it. Or maybe you paid for it. Maybe you got a bunch of credit cards and you maxed it out and you've got uh, the worst credit known to man right now. And uh, what do you do next, right? Your film's done. What is the next step? How do you know what to do with it? And maybe you do what a lot of us did. You go back and you look at the people before us. You look at the filmmakers that made it. You go back and you look at your idols growing up, the Kevin Smiths of the world, the Robert Rodriguez's, and you go, my movie needs to be in a film festival. If I get my movie in a film festival, that's the only place that I'm going to sell it. And uh, a distributor is going to see it. A producer is going to see it. They're going to want it. They're going to pick it up. They're going to pay for it. I'm going to be able to pay off all my credit cards. I'm going to be able to turn to my investors and say, look, we did it together. We made this thing. It's all going to happen. And this comes down to you getting into that film festival. So it isn't a waste of money for you to send hundreds of dollars to all these different festival submissions. And then you wait, wait for those answers and those responses. And you get a rejection after a rejection. And you're going to get into Sundance. Sundance is going to make it. You don't get into Sundance. And so you're waiting. And then you get, you, fi- you, you finally get in. There's one of these festivals, right? You never really heard of it before, but it's an international film festival. And you do a little looking online and it's like, buyers are here and they buy films so it's all about going to this you finally did it this movie that you made and that you financed got the attention of a film festival and they want it and they want your premiere this is it it's going to change everything right <laughs> well that's what today's episode is all about i'm very excited about today's episode because we are going back and we are going to talk a bit about film festivals and the reason why I'm on this kick again is because I saw a film I had a film sent to me an amazing independent feature film called Film Fest directed by Marshall Cook and I gotta tell you guys I loved it I was laughing my ass off through the whole movie this movie tackles what it's really like to go to film festivals uh, and it does it in such a hilarious way. It's got such an amazing cast starring Matt Cook. Will Sasso's in it. He's phenomenal in it. Um, and it has been a long time since I've watched a comedy on making films. And I've loved it this much. I think the last film that I saw about making movies was that classic Living in Oblivion. Have you guys ever seen it? It was done in the 90s. I think it came out in 1995 starring Steve Buscemi. If you haven't seen it, look it up, Living in Oblivion, and watch that one too. Another great, another great piece of satire on what it's like to be a filmmaker. Um, and you guys are going to love this movie. It is coming out. It's going to be on streaming services. They're self-distributing it, which is really great. Um, and we're going to have all that information below the episode. Um, I'll have the release date and everything else. Um, Obviously, I'm recording the show ahead of time. As you guys know, I do that. So all the links and all the information, the proper information will be listed below in the description of the show. Uh, Very excited. Uh, Marshall's a great dude. Uh, Him and I, he even says it on the show. It sounds like we're two of the same person. We're two white dudes with beards trying to figure out how to convey our emotions. Yes, it's very true. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, he is the comedy guy. I am a horror guy. I feel like we're going to become buds as soon as we can get out of this fucking quarantine. Uh, and I'm definitely going to have him back on the show again because uh, I've already recorded the episode and we just didn't have enough time to get to everything. It is that packed with good stuff. So this is a great episode for you guys. If you are uh, a filmmaker and you're trying to figure out what is the proper path, figure out whether or not the old methods still work to get your movies out there, maybe you'll learn something when you listen to this episode. If you are a director that loves comedy and wants to sort of understand uh, how other people pull off comedy directing and making comedy movies, yeah, you're probably going to like this episode too. Uh, if you're just somebody that's looking for something great to watch, right, in a sea of shit right now, if you're looking for a truly fun and funny independent film, uh, something that feels like it belongs in the 90s as far as independent cinema is concerned, um, then you're going to love this too. So, before we get into it, I want to thank everybody, as always, for following me on Instagram at MikePetchy and for following the podcast on Instagram. That is in love with the process POD on Instagram. Uh, as you've seen, we've done competitions and contests. People have been awarded limited edition t-shirts. Uh, and you guys are sending me suggestions for guests on the show. I'm slowly making my way through all the messages. Uh, I am asking the folks that you guys want to have on the show to be on the show. Some people I know and some people I don't know. And some of you guys have lofty ideas for guests, which I like and celebrate that you're sending me these things. One of the suggestions recently was Peter Jackson. I'm trying to figure out how to get my way into that uh, interview. But how can you help? Well, you guys aren't going to be able to write to Peter Jackson. But what you can do is get your fucking friends to listen to the show. The more people that subscribe to our show, the more listeners that we have, the better my statistics are when I actually call the agents and I call the folks for these people to try to get them on the show. That's the first question they ask. I just dealt with this last week. Can I see the specs? How many people listen to the show? I got a lot of people that listen to the show. And I got a lot of people that love the show. And they look at the specs and they go, yeah, but that's not like Joe Rogan's specs. And I'm like, that motherfucker just got like a $120 million deal for Spotify. How the fuck can I compete with that guy? Well, you know, it's all about listeners. Okay. So you, the, I am taking that stress and passing it along to you. <laughs> so tell your friends to listen to the show. Subscribe to the show. Leave us reviews. Even if you've left us a review already, leave us multiple reviews on Apple Podcasts. They look at these stupid numbers. We live in a time period where numbers on social media mean something. I just watched that doc. What was the name of that doc that we watched on HBO? Fake Famous. Have you guys seen it yet? I mean, it's not the most innovative documentary. And uh, I'm sure a lot of the stuff that you look at it is... Uh, not that uh, much of a stretch in believing, uh, but believe it or not, a lot of people that have fucking likes and followers pay for them. Pay for them. Celebrities pay for them. Big time celebs pay for them. All of my followers on my shit, it's, those are you guys. Those are real people. I have not purchased any of them. Those are you. Oftentimes I'll follow new people and people are excited to meet us and excited to be a part of the show. It's all for real. And so if our numbers aren't in the hundreds of thousands, I don't give a fuck. 
I'm happy that it's you guys. I'm happy that it's people that write to me, that engage with the show, and that want to be a part of us. So thank you, everybody. And tell your friends to come on board. Because the only way to get these numbers up is to get people to be aware that it exists. This is something else that Marshall and I talk about on the show. These days, it's easier and easier to make films. It's easier and easier to make your projects because gear is more affordable. The resources are more affordable. Learning about how to do these things is very simple to do by looking for things online. So it's really just time, which is a big thing that there isn't an app to fix. And uh, how do you get people to look at your stuff? How do you promote that? I should do a series on that and try to figure that out uh, in our modern climate because... Yeah, look, anybody can broadcast and tell about their shit, but it gets lost, right? How many of you can honestly say that you found me randomly, right? It's usually from a suggestion. It's usually from some a follow. It's usually from somebody telling you to listen or watch the program. It's the only way our numbers are going to get up, so I'm putting that on you, all right? You, the listener, I want you to tell five of your friends about this show do it right now send it to them say we love this show we like it more when mike isn't fucking putting stress on us to do this but we love the show and uh if you do that then i promise you i will take those numbers and i will try to book arnold schwarzenegger on the show okay uh other than that let's see what's going on with me uh yeah like i said we just watched that doc on uh on uh, social media stuff. And I love that it's such a surprise. Wow, all of Kim Kardashian's millions of fans aren't real? Yeah. How, how do these people, like, it's amazing to me that they bought all these fecal... Yeah, right. And, you know, the most interesting thing that I took away from the doc was his point on... Well, if Instagram knows that there's a bunch of these apps out there doing this shit, why don't they just kibosh it and do it? Because they benefit from the idea that they have this many subscribers. And so whether or not those subscribers are all real people doesn't matter because when they talk to the people that are investing in Instagram, they get to say we have, you know, 5.6 billion fucking subscribers or whatever the fuck. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to see how those numbers, just that little clicker, that little counter, makes millions and millions of dollars for people. It's so interesting. So, I don't know. That's just a cynical mic talking on the show. Check out the doc and uh, see if you feel the same way. And it might change your mind on uh, who we think are celebrities. And, I mean, Jesus Christ, let's get to the point where we just don't care. All I care about is getting the show heard by as many people as possible. So that way we can make it better and bigger. That's it. Anyway, um, other than that, things are going pretty good. We're sort of hanging out and doing a bunch of podcasts, uh, putting together a bunch of episodes. I've got some great guests on the way. And uh, as promised, it isn't going to be all about filmmaking. Uh, We are going to dive into other uh, professions. We're going to dive into other crazy worlds from folks that I'm curious about. Uh, And I get to bring you guys along for the ride so thanks for being here uh and that being said let me stop delaying it let's get right into it this is a great episode marshall's a really cool dude um so strap yourselves in 
get ready and do yourself a favor before we get started right now click the link below and at least watch the trailer for film fest so you can wrap your brain around the type of movie that we're talking about um and i know you guys are gonna be fucking pumped about it uh sit back relax and enjoy the brand new episode of in love with the process Marshall, thanks for being on the show, my man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on because uh, uh, you sent me your your film, and I genuinely laughed throughout the that's, whole movie. That's great. It's been uh, too long, you know, showing it in between like our initial cast crew friend screenings, and now it's where you know you, you spend months without sharing something. It's like, is this? Did I fuck this up? Is it good? I don't know. So you just kind of need to. <laughs> live on that currency of like oh no 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 yeah people like it <laughs> yeah, well because i i also being a filmmaker understand the power of being with people when you watch it so uh let me just tell you what my reaction was so that you can get it like it i was in it the whole time so i believe the characters i believe that i was watching a movie so i got lost in it immediately which great. i think is like the greatest <laughs> the, the greatest form of flattery at that point because it felt like a film um, and then I loved all the characters. I thought the uh, casting was fantastic. Um, and of course, the subject material hits very close to home for me. So <laughs> I was laughing at all, all of the subtleties that you had in there. Um, and I have to say that my favorite character by far in the whole piece was the DP. I thought, that, oh, yeah, La Laird McIntosh. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a, fantastic. He's an interesting dude. He's a main company um, at the Groundlings. Uh, theater in, in los angeles and we actually got like set six or seven uh main company groundlings because you know I'll, I'll say like i mean for any project low budget or, or or if you have a budget like these you know they work like they work for just to perform uh, on a you know weekly basis yeah um not now because you know theaters are temporarily dead but uh so they're all probably going crazy but uh they're, they're they just they come prepared they give you what you want and then they'll add or elevate uh really happy with all those guys oh man yeah fantastic stuff and uh you know being a cinematographer at one point in my life and then being friends with a lot of cinematographers <laughs> mm -hmm. his beef it was just so wonderful his beef with the kid that was shooting movies on an iphone was just so fantastic <laughs> yeah every character has like a, a little hint of some part of my brain you know <laughs> to them so that's kind of like my dialogue with the next generation you know I could feel that. I could feel that. Um, and for those of you listening who haven't seen it yet, make sure you uh, either click the link below the episode or uh, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and we'll put the supplemental material there. Um, but you definitely have to check out Marshall's movie Film Festival. If you, I know all of you guys listening are somehow involved in movies or not, and it is going to stab you in the heart. <laughs> right uh, yeah, yeah. It's called uh, uh, Film Fest, and we just... Uh, got our official release date, which is now March 2nd. Hell yeah, uh, man. That's great. I, iTunes and Amazon. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm definitely going to promote it because I laughed. It's been a long time since I've watched a film, a comedy on making movies. I think the last one that I really laughed at was Living in Oblivion. <laughs> That's so funny you said that. I love that one. Yeah. Oh, with Steve Buscemi. Great. I love that movie. 
roll yeah. roll that motherfucking camera wolf <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like just like they, they just get right into it and then like this one thing that they're trying to shoot you know i don't know it's 15 20 minutes later and it's like you're still just so in it <laughs> yeah oh it's been so long i have to watch that movie again it's been so long but that was what i was thinking about when i was watching your film i really yeah that, that's one of the movies that i'll kind of list when you say it's this it's that you know um it's it's its, its own thing but it's also these five movies you know well, it's obvious watching the film that you've been through a lot of this stuff, that, that you've been through this stuff. Like, how has your film festival experience been in real life? Is this, is is the movie uh, a direct diary from it? <laughs> it's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I write is some form of therapy. You know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's this isn't just one festival. It's, it's, a, it's a bunch over time. And it's not just, you know, it, it's also me in my experience over, you know, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's all just kind of wrapped up into this one little package. Uh, as well as, you know, our, the co-writer, Paul uh, Allen Cope, because um, he's, he's in a few of them himself, so. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing that really hit close to home, because I've spent years, and a lot of young filmmakers that listen to this show still sort of subscribe to the old ways of making films. Like back, like growing up in the '90s, right, and growing up in the during the time period of like Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez's and all those folks that their careers were essentially made by the film festivals. I mean, at that point, their savior, yeah. <laughs> who's now the devil, Harvey Weinstein, found them at the film festival. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting when you you know you grow up with this idea of what you want to do, and then you know it's like I want to make movies, I want to be these guys, you know, Kevin Smith and what what they're doing, independent films. And then, you know, you get there and you kind of see how the sausage is made and, and yeah. what, you know, the, the actual business is. And then, you know, add to that, just times have changed and technology and trends and all that. And, and now we're here. So <laughs> we're making movies as like a hobby. Um, yeah, I, I remember my first, I remember my first film festival, my first big film festival I got into with one of my horror movies, I got into Trauma Dance, which was obviously run by the infamous Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films and all that. Yeah, yeah, Troma, yeah. And they were doing it. Their claim to fame for that festival was it takes place at Sundance. So they, <laughs> they essentially rented out like a like a screening theater on Sundance Strip during Sundance. And so that was their move. And then they were, they were uh, enthusiastic to all of their winners or the people that were in their festivals to cause trouble at Sundance. Like, go cause trouble and do this <laughs> shit because of this thing. And I remember getting into it, being super excited because it's like, well, I guess it's at Sundance. It's kind of at Sundance. And you're like, mm -hmm. maybe I can mingle with the people from Sundance. And then you get there and you're like, I feel like I'm part of like one big joke <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> against it. Uh, so when I was watching this, I was like, yep, uh-huh. That's exactly what my first film festival experience was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like every everybody in the festival world is kind of like fuck Sundance, unless you know I get accepted. Obviously, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. Dude. Oh, it's so political. Oh, it's, they're they're not even a real festival. But you know, you're you're always gonna submit and spend a hundred bucks just to see your buying you know buy a lottery ticket. Oh my god! And when you look at so having the distance at this point, like being further back and having made so many different short films and submitted to so many different festivals and gone to festivals that I thought were going to be the shit. And then you go to the festival and you're just sort of examining how these guys are just trying to sell tickets and they're just filling seats. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of depressing when you actually look at 
what the reality of film festivals are. And I'm not saying that all festivals suck because there's a couple great ones. Uh, there are festivals like Cinequest that I really enjoyed that they put together true meet and greets and hangouts so that you can go meet the other filmmakers and there were like special rooms for that. But a majority of film festivals like just suck. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's not, and yeah, this isn't like a, a hit job, you know, I, I, I do think, and it's said in the movie, like the festival experience is all about perspective sure, and, and expectations and all those things. And, uh, you know, there definitely are, if you can lower your expectations and go in with the mindset of like, I get a venue to show my movie to an audience you yeah. know, with people who love movies and I can meet like-minded people. And, you know, if, if you have a positive attitude, you can get some really great things out of it. But mostly uh, I don't and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but, but what I guess what I did, uh, you know, with this one is I got just so many funny scenarios that I just had to like put down in my notes app in my phone. And then, you know, after the last one I went to, I was like, finally, I got to just you know, make a movie out of this. Yeah, well, you know, you're hundred percent right about sort of uh, putting your expectations in check because the, the thing that we grew up reading about, whether you read like rebel without a crew or whether you were obsessed with what was going on with Kevin Smith is that the film festival is where you're going to make your cash back. And a lot of young filmmakers would do what they did at that time, which is like put ourselves completely in debt on credit card. And then you're going to go to the film festival and some distributor is going to pick it up and you're going to go from there. You're going to make it. Um, but if you can get over that and understand that that kind of isn't the way it works anymore, then you're 100% right. Like, yeah. you, you go to have that that theater experience. For for me, the big benefit of festivals is meeting other like-minded filmmakers that you form bonds with, and you have these uh, folks that you can either send rough cuts to, or you have folks that you can uh, turn to and get advice for, like, casting or working with certain crews and stuff like that. Um, but to think that you're going to go to a film festival and someone's going to pick it up right away and the next thing you know you're going to be Kevin Smith that's not the way the world works anymore i don't think yeah no um, yeah we can it's a hard reality. Into, into that yeah business side of it but yeah it's it's a shit show a little bit but um. <laughs> and i'm not here to have you on the show to trash talk film festivals i just there's no, no, a- i can i can trash talk the business end of movies i mean it's still a broken system i i feel like we're we're kind of in that weird uh, middle area where we're trying to figure out like, yeah, obviously there's going to be the big studio movies and then there's going to be the direct to consumer, you know, like the, the, um, like kind of what we're doing with this, which it's almost there. And I feel like this is a really good trial run, especially for this kind of movie, but we're going through an aggregate, um, called Bitmax. And there's a few of these, but we kind of decided to go with this one. We like their model where, you know, they're still a middle person, um, but more for their relationships and quality control. Mm-hmm. And you pay them a fee, and you know you can either pay them less and they have a little piece, or you pay them more and then you own your movie outright. So when people rent it on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play, like that, it's a totally transparent, um, you know, report, and it all goes to you. Yeah. Uh, so you know, with my first movie, uh, Division Three, Football's Finest, which is a you know zany football comedy, like a decade ago, mm-hmm. we we you know did the you know distributor route where they gave us a minimum guarantee, and it was great. Like the, we actually made our money back and more. And, and um, well, I <laughs> I didn't, but our investor did. Uh, <laughs> and um, but then never saw a dime after that. And this thing was everywhere. It was like. Netflix, Showtime, you know, video on demand. Uh, and then, you know, now it's on prime and, and it's, it's, it's like on every platform 
internationally and, and you just get these statements where it's like, well, we spend 15 grand a year on this and 80,000 on marketing there. And, the, right. you know, and you just, you're, you're never going to see another dime. So that's a really obnoxious, annoying system. You don't really see minimum guarantees like that anymore for this level of movie. Um, so I, I, I think that this new route is the way to go, but who knows? Well, I mean, the idea that, you know, the money's coming directly back to you and the filmmaker, it's always a solid thing. My issue is I just, with anything, right? With anything in our business, whether I'm trying to promote the podcast or if I'm trying to promote a movie, we're a culture that is just obsessed with advertising. And so at the, mm. at the end of the day, it's all about advertising. It's all about an advertising budget and, and trying to get as many people uh, to see the fact that you've made a fucking movie to begin with. Yeah, is the most difficult aspect of the whole thing. Do you do you feel that way? Oh, yeah, totally. At first, it was you know making a movie is impossible. Now it's like oh, making the movies. We've kind of figured that out. Now it's how do we get anyone anyone to care or see it? Yeah, right. Uh, it's just such a sea of content now. Yeah, and you know you're you're even if you get somebody to watch it, they're probably going to want to watch it for free because mm-hmm. uh, that's what's happening with Prime and and Hulu and all these subscriptions. And um, so getting somebody to you know spend three, four or five dollars to, to rent your movie that you spent, you know, a year or two making is such a big ask. <laughs> okay. Like we, we literally didn't make any money. We were banking on you, you know, not pirating this movie. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's great. You know, we're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like it's interesting to, to address that. And I think, the one thing that I've learned through the way I promote my stuff, um, which I try to keep everything very exclusive, like and people on the show know this, uh, I don't release my shorts for free on YouTube. The only way you're allowed to look at any of my content is that you have to write to me and you have to tell me your three favorite horror movies. And then normally I'm like, then you have to write a review for it. You have to do something. You have to work for the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, you're like one of those like wine clubs. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Which well, actually work. Yeah. Yeah. But well, at the end of the day, what happens is that there's a sort of an exclusivity part of it. And then there's a real exchange that happens with the audience and the audience feels really connected to it. And that they don't care about having to spend a little bit of money on it. And I think it's just about changing that perspective because at the end of the day, I think we're, we're living in the wake of Napster. You know what I mean? We're living in the wake of like, Hey, like we can steal this shit and no one's going to go to jail for it. Okay. And then the companies are like, well, now we have to, you know, do subscription services because uh, everybody expects not to pay every time they want to rent something. But uh, so, like the, the the landscapes kind of change for that, and at the end of the day, I think audiences still like exclusivity. I think audiences still like to be the cool kids that found a film, and I think your film is is one of those films. I, I really feel like it is a, a movie that anybody that's listening to this show that ever wants to submit to a film festival that ever goes through the process of self financing their own film, they should watch your movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is, you know, it's definitely a very targeted audience. And I think that I, I feel like we kind of owned the world that we're representing. Um, so there's a lot of inside baseball that I think people will, re- will really enjoy. But I also think it's accessible to the general audience as well. Completely. Um, Completely. But, uh, you know, yeah. So if, if you're not going specifically for this kind of uh, 
voyeuristic experience of, of a film festival. You can, you know, just watch a road trip comedy, you know, that has zero politics and, you know, it's just fun. It is. It's a blast. And the characters are really great and very identifiable. So the, the, the audience, if you, if I found this film on um, like Amazon Prime or any of these, uh, any of these streaming services, I'd watch it and love it and I'd laugh. And I think anybody would. Uh, I think I, I think the thing that you have going for it in this crazy world of are people going to get their eyes on it is is first and foremost you have this cult audience you will have the filmmaker cult audience that will watch this and then show it to their family and show it to the brothers and sisters and be like this is fucking hilarious like mm-hmm. Will Sasso's in it he's fucking great you know yeah. like you've got such a really fantastic cast and then Matt Cook who's the lead is phenomenal in it and he's got such a familiar face and I don't know where I've seen him before. I feel oh, like you're, seen... you're obviously a huge fan of Man with a Plan. <laughs> 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 but he's got one of those faces that you're like, man, where the fuck have I seen this guy? Oh, right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I mean, he's, he's a main company groundling actor. He's, he's a phenomenal actor. I think he's got so much range. Um, and he's just, he, he's a, he's a true performer. Um, you know, man with the plan, he comes on as, you know, this character that, you know, has a couple lines and he gets a couple laughs and he's out. It's like the easiest job he's ever had. Uh, but you can just see that he, even, even on that show at tapings and stuff, he just always nails it. Uh, shooting this movie, it was like, I've, I always knew, you know, my, my main guy who's going to have the most lines is always going to get it in one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if I have time, you know, we can do two or three. That's great. That's fun. But he was such a, a great, you know, foundation to build around. That must be so, like such a uh, a relaxing thing because you know everybody says that casting is like you know more than fifty percent of what we do as directors, and so to be able to be that confident, especially on like an indie budget, I'm sure your schedule was pretty crazy. Like your shooting schedule must have been nuts, right? Oh man, yeah. There were there were some days where <laughs> some some friends, you know, uh, on on the cast and crew they would take pictures of me at the end of the day and i i literally look 10 years older uh i mean we had days where i I think everything in the cabin um when you guys watch the movie there's a lot that takes place in this cabin that they airbnb but we revisited that a lot in the movie and we did all of that in a day i think it was like 11 and three quarters pages oh my god dude yeah it was one day (laughs) and we had to deal with you know these loggers like chainsawing trees um, there were so many sound problems <laughs> making this movie. Like we, we go to this quiet little sleepy town called Idlewild, mm-hmm. which is, you know, up in the, uh, forest reserves. Uh, if, if you're going like to, well, I don't, I don't want to get specific. It's the Southern California mountain town. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, oh, this quaint little cute town. And it is the loudest town to ever shoot anything in. There's <laughs> one main road that always has trucks on it. The, the mayor's a dog. And it's in, in the, literally it's a golden retriever. And like when we're shooting in the downtown area, he's just barking at everyone. And I have to go to this lady and kindly ask like, Hey, you guys are film friendly, right? Like the mayor is film friendly. Like we're just trying to shoot this one little thing. And he's just ruining takes, you know, uh, there's, there's helicopters just circling around for days. And there was this rumors about was it chickens or was it, you know, fire stuff and, uh, people working on power lines, cutting down trees. I mean, there was just so much action in that town. It was so frustrating. <laughs> then we came back to LA to shoot some stuff. And then of course, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles. I, I, I did. I believe me. I, I live, I moved onto a dead end street. So I'm on what you would think would be the quietest dead end street known to man during a fucking pandemic. And every time I'm telling you, while we do this interview, 
there's going to be like five deliveries. The, the, my street is the loudest fucking street I've ever been on. Yeah. And, well, and also everyone's at, at home and working on their homes. So like, <laughs> you know, I got stereo sound of just people cutting tile and, you know, fiber plating road base and like all kinds of shit going on. Well, I'm trying to shoot these like one minute shorts for Instagram. And it's like, oh, sorry, can you contractors stop your actual job so I can, you know, do this nut shot joke. Like. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. I, our buddy Rick Dodge did a whole segment on that with the um, with his uh, construction that's happening next to his house. And God oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God damn it. I loved to tune in every day to his shit yeah. with that. So, yeah, Rick, Rick to just uh, Rick Dodge is a mutual friend of ours that introduced us. And then, yeah. Um, and yeah, he he actually got me into doing the Instagram like one to two minute short form stuff. Um, the great too, by the way. You do a really good yeah, job with those. At Rick Darge, yeah. First up, our good friends over at Puget Systems. If you are in the market for a brand new edit system, I know Marshall and I talk on the show about starting as editors. Uh, I highly suggest you do. If you're a filmmaker that is learning the craft, one of the best ways to learn is editing. And I, I don't think I've ever said this on the show, but back in the day when I moved back home after going to film school, I wanted to make a short film. I made a short film called Torpor. That's T-O-R-P-O-R. And I don't think I have it online. It's an okay movie, but it was a great learning experience. It's the movie that actually got me uh, into trauma dance and I got to meet people. So it's like the big first film festival movie. I think we won some awards for it. I, I don't know. I can't remember. Um, really fun film, but I had to raise money to make the short and I had to turn to uh, friends and family to raise capital for the short. And so what we did was uh, I had my family, my dad, who's obviously a great cook, uh, put on what we called an Italian night. So we did, we did a uh, come to have a big Italian dinner and everybody paid uh, to show up and we set up the whole backyard. We made it this really cool sort of restaurant experience um, and I showed a piece that I had done. So I had taught myself how to use a nonlinear editing program because this was back in the day when that stuff was really kind of starting. Like there was Media 100 for those old listeners listening. Um, and I got my hands on Sony Vegas. And Sony Vegas actually was the editing software that kind of started everything as far as like using a timeline that would import multiple formats it like would play mp3s like i can bring anything i wanted into it you bring in images and you can do uh, moves on images and sizing on images that was a big thing um, and so i downloaded sony vegas and i taught myself how to use it because this is prior to the days of youtube so i had to teach myself how to use the program and what i did was i downloaded a bunch of images uh, from Google of uh, Charlize Theron. And I just brought in all these different images. I brought in a track, a song track. I forget what song I used. Brought in a song track. And I just cut together this fun slideshow. And it taught me how to pace things out. And I was essentially using those stills as uh, clips. 
right? And so I'd be moving on those stills as if they were movie clips and I cut it to a song and I made it really interesting and fun. And I was a young filmmaker at this point. And so I had this thing and I just showed it to friends and family. I just showed them what I had learned with the edit. And uh, it gave a lot of confidence. Everybody watched this piece and they were like, this guy kind of knows what he's doing with cutting and music. And this was a really great experience. And I screened it for these folks at this dinner that we put on. And uh, I was able to raise the money from it. And what I learned, I still use those techniques today from that first edit session because I took a track, I took a song track that was three and a half minutes and I figured out how to seamlessly take different aspects of that song and cut it down to be under a minute and to have an arc. And I still use those tricks. Whenever you see me cutting promos for music videos, whenever you see me cutting commercials, I still use those same techniques that I learned when I was cutting uh, that fucking Charlie's Theron fucking image video that I did. And the only way I was able to pull that off at the time was that I had built myself a custom-made PC uh, that I was using for gaming that could also run video the way I wanted to run it. And I learned at that point that you can build a computer to do magical things for movies. Years later, fast forward, and we have Apple, we have Mac, we have like these magical glorious machines that show up and they come out of a box and suddenly they're able to do all this stuff, which I really didn't buy into because I'm like, look, I can build this cheaper and I can do this on my own. And it wasn't until I ran a company where I had to like answer to folks and I had to work with other companies that were using that format that I had to go into the Apple game. And for quite some time, they owned the marketplace. They really did. They would own the codex. Turns out everything had to be delivered in ProRes. And hey, guess what? They owned the ProRes codec and all that stuff was a monopoly that we played with. Then they turned their backs on us, right? When they had the whole Final Cut Pro fucking bullshit that happened, changed everything. And I jumped ship quick. I'm like, I do not like being controlled. I do not like being owned by a company. So I had to do the fun research because at that point I was running a production company and I needed to figure out where to find a system, where to find a PC that had customer support. And it wasn't me doing the customer support because I'm trying to be a fucking director producer, right? So I did the hard work for everybody and I found this company called Puget Systems. These guys are a family owned company, they're on the West Coast and they build amazingly fast PCs. PCs that are custom tailored exactly to what you need. They'll build you a PC based upon the software that you're gonna use. So you can contact these guys, let them know, hey, this is what I'm using, this is what I got, this is the kind of budget I need, and they'll help you build a PC. And sure, they make it simple. You can go there and just choose one of their standard packages if you're someone that just needs something basic. But if you're looking for something specific, this is the place to go. And their customer support, can you imagine getting customer support from a real fucking person <laughs> in, a, in a modern day of like, yeah, you'll get a text from us and then you uh, go into a chat room and then you'll talk to a fucking bot and then that bot will ask you all those questions. Did you cycle your modem? You know what I mean? Real fucking person. And that is one of the reasons why I love Puget Systems is that I know each of these guys that run the company. I know them as individuals. They support the show. They've supported my filmmaking for years and everything that you've seen me cut has been done on a Puget system. 
So I cannot say enough great things about these guys. I am more than happy to promote them on our show. So go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. Also supporting us as always are the great guys over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in the movie industry has been LED lighting. And Quasar Science makes the best units out there. I'm telling you, if you have a Quasar uh, tube, if you've got a bicolor uh, LED, if you have one of the rainbow LED tubes and you pull that out of the back of your hatchback and you have hired a gaffer or someone to do it, they're going to look at you and go, this motherfucker knows his shit. Telling you, Quasar Science like prides themselves on getting the best components, the best LED components in there so that the lighting and the color stays consistent. So you're not in post-production desperately trying to color correct the magenta out of a light that's supposed to be balanced for daylight. It's a nightmare. Any of you color graders out there listening are like, yup, those cheap fucking producers that bought their bullshit LEDs from China from fucking eBay means that my life's going to suck, right? Fix it in post. Well, how about you don't? How about you spend a little bit of cash, buy yourself a unit that you can trust, a unit that you can depend on, and uh, from a company that is fantastic. So go to quasarscience.com and check out what I'm talking about. Uh, If you want to support the show, and if you haven't done so already, you can sign up for a free trial at Audible. So if you go to Audible, I always fuck this up. If you go to audibletrial.com backslash love of the process, the link's below the episode. Um, but if you sign up for 30 days for free, and if you haven't done so already, if you haven't done it on another podcast, sign up 30 days for free. You get a free audiobook. You get access to their audio content. There's a lot of great stuff on there. There's a bunch of really cool alien series that I think comes with it, which is pretty awesome. Uh, if you do that, you're going to become hooked. You're going to become obsessed. I've been listening to a bunch of books lately on there that's where i've been listening to like i finished ready player two uh i just finished uh the strangers book what the fuck is it called hold on a sec because my brain is not working it is mike's looking through his phone this makes really good content for the internet talking to strangers by malcolm gladwell and i referenced the book on this show it's really fantastic it really has changed my perspective on how i interact with folks uh, and sometimes I still have <laughs> angry exchanges with strangers, but I at least understand why I'm doing it now. So go check that out. And if you sign up for a 30-day free trial, we get cash, right? And here's the thing. Here's the insider info. If you decide after 30 days that you can't afford it, no big deal. We still get paid. So you're going to want to stick around because you're going to get hooked like I do. Uh, and every month on that subscription, they give you a credit for book. So right off the bat. You get a book every month for that price, which is not a bad deal. So it usually takes me at least a month to read books these days. Well, listen to books. So I actually have a few credits that are stacked up. Um, So check them out. Click the link below. And that's a great way to support the show without reaching in your own wallet. And if you want to reach in your own wallet, if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, there is a donate button. So you can actually donate cash directly to the show. If you love it that much, and you want to see us uh, improve all the money that we raise for the show, whether it's from the t-shirts that we've sold or from donations that we get, goes to making things better. Microphones you're hearing me talking into, the road mixer that I'm going through. I tried to get a fucking sponsorship from those guys. They don't give a shit. So so, uh, your money is what paid for all this stuff. So I appreciate it. I appreciate the support. 
and I will now shut the fuck up and let you get back into the conversation with the cool Marshall Cook. How did you how did you end up financing your film? Was this all self-financed? Or did you guys get investments for this or so our um, executive producer was also our DP. Oh, okay. um, and he I met him through um, actually acting in a movie that he produced. So he's kind of creating his own little library of indie films. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Edwin Stevens, uh, APS Films. And um, he did this like hunting drama called Hunting Lands. And uh, long story short, I got an audition through somebody who saw, you know, knew me from acting in Division Three, um, and I had like a pretty hefty beard going at the time, and uh, so I auditioned for this. Like, I just like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll audition for it. So I sent in like a video audition um, as this like mountain man, and they liked it, and so ended up doing that movie. And we were going out to like this place called Atlanta, Michigan, to shoot in like sub-zero temperatures, and <laughs> it's a pretty pretty interesting. Um, movie. I think it's on Amazon Prime now. Um, it's called Hunting Land. So I met him on that as an actor. And then we just kind of kept in touch and, you know, hit it off. And a couple of years later, I uh, oh, actually we went to a festival for Hunting Lands. And that was kind of the final straw where I'm like, I'm going to write a movie about film festivals. <laughs> um, and so then I just shared it with him. I think he was doing some pretty heavy movies. And he just said, like, I want to do a comedy next. And I was like, Oh, funny you say that. Here you go. Nice. So yeah. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> and with you, so let's go back to the beginning of the business for you. What started it? Was it acting first or was it filmmaking first? Um, I, w- I think, you know, when you go all the way back, I was always just messing around with the camera, you know, the high eight camera, VHS editing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or VCR editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always shooting and performing with friends and stuff. And, and uh, all the way through high school, like if there was ever a video project option for some sort of uh, assignment, you know, I would pick the video one. And not only that, like my friends would have me shoot some of theirs sometimes. Um, so I was just always into shooting s- silly little stuff. And um, that went through, you know, majoring in film and new media in college, which was a joke. Uh, I do not recommend film school. There you go. Me, uh, me as well. <laughs> we agree on that as well, dude. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Just, just go on, you know, YouTube, just go on like studio binder tutorials and, and then meet people and go on sets. That's how you learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but you know, I, I've always obviously wanted to, to direct. I, I think that I always saw that as the career, but you know, when you're coming to a town like LA and you don't know how any of it works, um, you know, no one's going to give you a movie. It's such a responsibility. Um, no one's going to pay you to do that unless you're like some crazy auteur, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not. Um, I had to learn everything the hard way, I feel like. Yeah, uh, but most of us do. I, I Half the time, I don't believe in auteurs. I believe in people that have very wealthy uncles, and I believe in people <laughs> that, that were born into the Coppola family. You know, I believe in yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, if you grow up and you're, you know, you, you have a, family member who is a director or if you have access to that growing up, yeah, you can you know, be shaped in a certain way. I mean, my, my dad's the landscape contractor and, you know, my mom works, worked for Macy's at the time. And, you know, like I didn't have, I mean, she, the, the closest thing I had is that she was also like a choreographer for local theater and, you know, that ah. was about my, <laughs> right. my uh, immediate access to performing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so just kind of learning how stuff worked. I did a couple of acting jobs uh, when I was going to school down here. Um, and like the first big job I got was like uh, at the end of Jeepers Creepers 2. Um, so it's a huge, it was a huge movie that made like a hundred million dollars in the theaters. And yeah, it blows my mind how big that movie was. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'm like, Oh, I'll just do this. This is easy. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, I haven't, I mean, only this last year have I been in a movie that was like bigger than that, you know, like the, the, the entire time in between, it was just like crappy acting jobs. <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right. The world of an, the life of a real life actor. Is really yeah, yeah. It is. yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it's like, the, you know, true uh, reality versus, you know. Versus uh, the PR that is yeah. sold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, and that's kind of, that's why I'm pumped to have you on the show, because that's what the show is essentially about. It's sometimes it's a little bit of tough love. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that if you're going to decide to be in this business, then you've decided that you're going to be in pr- like a pretty unglamorous lifestyle. Like every once in a while, you find yourself in like a holy shit moment where you look around, and you're like, how the fuck did I get here? Because yeah. you're so used to just being in the trenches, having no money. Like that's that's 90% of what the fuck we do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, was it Dax Shepard said this and somebody probably said it to him, but it's like, you know, would you rather fail at this than succeed at something else? You know, like selling cars or something? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Totally butchered that. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I, and I do like the trajectory or at least, you know, the, the um, journey I've been on and that I feel like it's just been this very slow and steady kind of escalation. Yep. Um, I've, I've been, you know, I used to have like pet mice in my shitty apartment that, you know, obviously they weren't my mice. They were just living in, they were just rats living in the walls. But like if I would leave, you know, if I make fish sticks and I leave the foil out, like there would be mice there, you know, and I, I I liked seeing them. I didn't think it was a problem. (laughs) Uh, So I've gone from there and now I'm like a, you know, a totally boring homeowner, you know, trying to (laughs) create edgy comedy. Yeah. It's, but you know, you, you're right about the slow burn. So many filmmakers that we talk to on the show and I feel the same way. I, I feel privileged to slowly be learning this and getting better over time. Uh, as opposed to like, you know, being that young fucking pop star that hits it at 17 for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and then you suddenly you're thrust into the limelight and, but, but you don't even understand the process that got you there yet. And so the, to trying to do a follow up to that and trying to stay consistent with that, it, it, it's like a reversal for them where it's like suddenly I'm a hot shit. Now I'm slowly, slowly descending down into nothingness. I, I, I like the slow rise. I like learning and, and progressing. Yeah, I, I've personally known some people that have, you know, that definitely peaked young and then it's like, now what? Uh, it, it'll just never be that. They'll never make that kind of money. They'll never do that quality, you know. Um, I mean, maybe they will, but they probably won't. Um, yeah, I mean, look at fucking Macaulay Culkin. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, at what point is he ever going to be bigger than fucking uh, than Home Alone? Like, when is he ever going to crack that? Like, and, and he's still a talented actor. He's still a really talented, cool dude. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, like you can't, you can't beat that at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I always like to kind of think of, you know, I, when I stopped losing sleep over my first movie, I kind of got excited about the lessons learned and then, you know, put them into this and then more lessons learned from this. And I'm, I'm just excited to, you know, always about the next project. Yeah. And, um, 
and you know, so hopefully I'm, I got a, another one down the pike and I can take everything I learned from those two, which is literally just failures. And uh, in my mind, <laughs> yeah. not, 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 not the movies themselves, but just like these little things, you know, these yeah. things you pick up on the way. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, we, I talk about that all the time on the show as well. Like people are always like asking, how do you develop your own personal style? Where's your own personal style come from? And it's like, at the end of the day, it's really you just trying to cover for the shit that you fucked up, you know? And like, you're like, oh man, I don't have enough gear to do exactly what I had planned. What do we have? How do I make it happen? And then next thing you know, you start to get known for those things. And people <laughs> people start to think you do them intentionally. And they're like, mm-hmm. that thing that you did, that meant a lot. And you go, actually, what it meant was that I didn't have enough money for a fucking lightning rig that day. So I'm happy. It's the Jaws shark, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, that John Williams stuff that you did, that was genius. It's like, yeah, it saved my fucking ass. That's what that did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what is your, so as you're doing this and being a guy that's in the trenches and being someone that sounds like me, sort of like blue collar worker, fucking really intense into it. What is your favorite aspect of filmmaking? Is it being on set? Is the preparation for set? Like, where do you, where do you get off the most on it? Um, I, I love, well, I, I always have some element of comedy with, you know, what I've been, been doing and I just love, you know, shooting takes and just seeing people nail it and then just like trying to you know hold your piss in from laughing you know like like you're watching monitor and just like it's just such a fun like that process of when you know you you feel like you're just doing good work and the actors are nailing it and the shots look great and you know you you just the moment when you feel like you're doing what you want to do and you're doing it at a high level and you know you have also like when you have time like I, i don't think i've ever been in a situation where i feel like I have time to just keep going and going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, they're, they're, they're very temporary, but there's just these moments when you're shooting where you're like, yes, like that's, uh, <laughs> which I always joke about when I'm watching a movie that I think is terrible and like you see a bad take or like just something that's, it's just like people are definitely making it home on time for dinner, you know, that <laughs> night where it's just like, you know, you, you see this scene and then I'll just shout this out when I'm with my friends watching a movie, I'll just go like, Cut! We got it, everybody. Great job. You know? yeah. <laughs> it, but, it's obvious when you see that. And the thing that the thing that fascinates me about comedy because I'm completely the opposite, right? So my stuff is all horror based, and so we a lot of our stuff is incredibly technical. It's like I need to get a certain amount of coverage to build the suspense in the scene, and how do I make a doorknob look scary? Well, I need to get three shots to do that. So let's get these fucking shots, and then you make your time for the performances, and you try to. Uh, get the most out of uh, what you can within the limited amount of time because you're you, you're always looking at your schedule going, if I don't get these five fucking inserts along with this performance, then this whole scene isn't going to be fucking scary. Mm-hmm. And comedy just seems like the complete opposite to me. Where yeah, it's, it's, yeah sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's like you have a plan, but then you, there are different ways of, of directing comedy from folks that I've talked to on the show where a lot of them are like, it's all script-based and we're working off the lines of the script. And then there are the people that are improv-based. Where do you fall in there? Um, I'm in between those. So I, we, we always want to, I mean, we did so many drafts of this script. We always want to give the actor something, you know, I I think that making an improv movie is lazy. Um, I think you're just putting it all on the actors to make you look good uh, as a writer and a director. Um, and you know, if you have a whole lot of money and you can afford the time for them to just, you know, give an actor a day rate to, you know, shoot a page and they throw out all these jokes, which, you know, 
uh, I'm not crapping on him, but like Judd Apatow would do that. You know, he would just hire like a lot of funny people right, to right, you know, right. elevate stuff. Um, he's made some incredibly funny movies that I enjoyed. So I'm not crapping on the guy, but you know, good for you to have $30 million to shoot a dialogue comedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, right. But yeah, so I want to give the actors something. And, but I also cast in a way that I know that they can elevate. So it's kind of like, hey, g- give me what I know that I need for the story and the character and the jokes. I want to see if they work. And then if you want to bring anything to the table and take two, three, whatever, like, let's go for it. Mm. Um, and then and then do you find, because <clears throat> it, it must be, you must have to sort of train yourself to understand immediately when improv really is sort of derailing the whole thing, right? Are you trying to stay focused when you're watching improv and making sure that it's staying on, on, on script? Or is it like, just show me, we got like five takes, so let's just fuck with it and maybe we'll find something in the edit. You know I think I mean? after I know that I have what we need, um, I don't try to white knuckle so much. Uh, obviously, I have to look at the clock, but uh, I, I actually, more than anything, do think like an editor. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of how I made you know, rent in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so I'm, I'm pretty efficient that way where, you know, uh, in, in that, you know, I try not to shoot what I don't need, but but also, you know, with, with actors and stuff, I'm like, yeah, go for it. You know, we'll, I'll either use it or I won't, you know? Yeah. And um, it's, it's great to hear that you came from an editing background. I did as well for, for many years. And uh, a lot, it, it blows my mind how many people that work in this business that don't really sort of get their head wrapped around editing. And it's like, how the fuck do you make movies then? You have to. Yeah, you have to know it. Yeah. It, it, not only does it make you a more efficient filmmaker, but then it also just it validates a lot of the decisions because I think a lot of younger filmmakers are just doing things because they've either read about it or they've seen a tutorial where it's like, now I have to shoot an insert. And it's like, do you know what the power of an insert is? Do you mm. understand what that does? And do you understand what cutting between a wide shot and a, and a close-up does? And when you do it, and exactly at what point in someone's statement do you cut to a reaction shot? And do you understand what that is? You, you just don't unless you're in a fucking edit room and you're just yeah. sitting there toiling over it going like when do i cut to his face and when do we cut to someone listening yeah Yeah. and it really informs you whether it's your footage or somebody else's uh you know you just see all the mistakes you know Mm -hmm. made in production totally the you know job is to obviously turn it into something i don't want to say fix it but you know your job is to assemble it but like yeah i mean it's called the third rewrite for a reason yeah well dude and i i would go on the record say fixing it isn't that far off because I don't know how many times I've done sequences that you think are amazing uh, on set. You're on set and you're just like, we fucking nailed it. You know what I mean? You go through yeah, the yeah. process of shooting all scene and you're like, whew. And it's like, lunch early, motherfuckers. You guys are fucking great. You know what I mean? And then you get into the edit room and you're like, there are only five clips in this bin? What the fuck? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I know that. Yeah. It's, funny, <laughs> yeah. it's funny that the... You know, people do say that horror and comedy are so similar with, you know, the the timing elements, I guess. But, like, I don't see it. Like, I do feel like they're totally opposite. Well, Um, I think that that if drama's in the middle, then, yeah, I get it. It's like, it's like, like, horror and comedy is like hip-hop and heavy metal as opposed to R&B. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it's the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I, I think that we're looking for very sort of very intense reactions out of our audience, whether mm-hmm. it's like scaring and screaming and pissing your pants, or if it's pissing your pants because you're laughing so hard in the right. theater. And it's if you go to see 
uh, a horror movie and there you go five or ten minutes without a scare, it's kind of a failure. And if you go see a comedy and you're not laughing, it's kind of a fucking failure. So like, the, I, I get both those aspects of it, um, but really the technical stuff I think is much different. Like yeah, the, I, th- I guess that's what it is. I, th- I think the experience is one thing, and 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 you know marking laughs and scares but the the actual process of shooting a comedy versus a horror yeah it couldn't be more different i would imagine i i mean dude i i think i've mentioned it on the show before i was lucky i was very fortunate uh when i was younger um to uh actually get invited to go hang out with the farleys on their sets so i got oh that's funny i've actually shadowed uh pete on on something oh really Uh, fuck yeah. yeah fuck yeah yeah i i got to go down for Hall Pass, and I got to go down for Three Stooges. That's where I actually saw Will Sasso do that. For okay. He played Curly that for Three Stooges. Fun. Yeah, it was wild, dude. And actually seeing how their comedy sets worked, and I learned a lot from those guys uh, on how they run a really great set and how they really work with their pals and their friends and how they... I remember watching Pete walk over to a, a sound guy and just be like, what'd you think of that? <laughs> you know, and you're, uh-huh. like, you're like, holy shit. You know, that's how you can really run a set. And it really changed my perception of, of being a leader and how to be a really great leader. Yeah, Pete, Pete is a mensch. Uh, and yeah, I, I just love that guy. And, and some of his movies coming up were so, you know, uh, they just hit me at the right age, like Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, something like oh that. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but a great guy. And then, he, you know, he keeps, he keeps evolving. Like, and then he did, you know, Green Book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that show, uh, Louder Milk, which Sasso is also in. Yeah. Um, which, you know, Will Sasso, obviously I, I tell him, like, I think, I've, I think I've literally told him this, like more talent than this business will ever ask of him. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just watched one of his old sketches last night. Cause I'm finally revisiting the Sopranos and he does this one where they like re-edit it for a broadcast and it just jumps around <laughs> like crazy, but he does like a perfect Tony Soprano, which I've actually, when I'm watching it with my wife, I'll really annoyingly try to repeat some lines just to see if I can do it. Yep. I can't do it. Like it's such a hard uh, affect he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Which is the, you know, the too many sliced meats, and I'm trying to breathe my way through that filter. Yeah, it's like nasally yeah. and lispy yeah. and <laughs> East Coast and what the hell? Yeah, yeah. He was such an amazing fucking actor. I, I. A lot of people forget about his performance in The Mexican with uh, Julia Roberts and fucking. Uh, Brad Pitt, and he was fucking great in that movie. You know, you know I missed that one. <laughs> I missed that whole movie. <laughs> oh, dude, it, it's a movie that I would never have watched. Uh, but I think uh, was Gore Verbinski did that. I think Gore Verbinski directed that. So I was like, huh? And I went and I watched it, and I was like, fuck, okay. Uh, yeah, he's the he's the reason to see that movie. He's f- fucking phenomenal in that film. Yeah. Uh, and he was also in. Oh, dude, his his bit in True Romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. back in the day where he, <laughs> where he played that dude that beat the shit out of Patricia Arquette in that movie. Yeah, he was a great bad guy. He was also, was he in Terminal Velocity? Oh my God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> old school. Anyway. Yeah, the younger um, listeners are like, these old guys listening to the fucking movies. Terminal Velocity. What the fuck? Okay. Uh, but yeah, um, but back to Pete, um, the way he runs a set, you know, I, I think that's another thing. If you can shadow a working director, uh, it's, it's a great way to really soak it in. I think I've shadowed three directors now, and um, and all different, totally different. Um, but but yeah, you just you know being letting everyone you know access you and just being you know having your poker face on. I do have to kind of work on my resting my my thinking face because it's you know 
resting bitch face kind of, and everybody thinks I'm upset. I'm just kind of like thinking all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, asking, you know, a PA, like, you know, or if a PA has an idea, not asking them like for an idea, but if they come to you with an idea, like listen to them. They might have the best joke of the day, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I think the one thing I really sort of pulled away from those guys is that, you know, if you if you get a green light to make a movie, it's a fucking lottery. It's a lottery. It's a win, dude. It's mm-hmm. a fucking win to even just be in that position to do it. And so if you can't find the time to enjoy being there, if you can't find the time to enjoy all these people that you're around, sure, there's the stress of trying to make a great movie. And sure, there's the stress of whatever budget and trying to make the money back for your investors. But try to leave that off the set because it's it's really going to affect the way you direct it's really going to affect the way you interact with your crew and if you're a piece of shit on the set it's going to fuck your movie up so like yeah. if, if you're going to do it selfishly for yourself don't be a piece of shit because that shit trickles down and your crew is just going to revolt against you or they're just not they're just going to phone it in where it's like yeah you want this here it is and they'll throw it in front of you and you're like okay yeah um yeah like and that's and that's a, I feel like that's a verb with like a low budget indie film because you know you are balancing all those things you 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 know you have the stress and you want to do a great job and it, you know you, you put so much pressure on yourself like this is it like I'm at the Super Bowl this is a once in a lifetime kind of thing I better you know I only get this day to do this and it's forever you know mm-hmm. so you have that on one end and it's like I also have all these people you know working together to create this thing that came out of you know mine and Paul's brain and you know let's enjoy this process. Like we never get to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm in this business to do this. So you have to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but, but it is something you have to remind yourself. Like you you can get get deep into a day and all of a sudden there's like, you know, a hiccup and it's messing up your, your shot or your scene or whatever. And it's just like breathe, you know? And that's just experience, man. Like over years and years of having these experiences as a, as a, like I, that, that comes back to what we were saying before. I'm so happy that it's been a slow burn mm-hmm. because I've had those nightmare fucking days. And luckily I've had those nightmare days on, on someone else's work on a, like another music video or something. And I've, I've seen, you know, uh, I've told this story before on the show. I've seen the results of being a drama queen. I like, I was on a music video shoot where everything was fucking going wrong. And, and I was a younger director and I was throwing chairs around and I was a fucking asshole. Like I was an absolute <laughs> asshole. You literally threw a chair? Yeah, dude. Wow. I got up and fucking tossed a chair and I was screaming and I stormed out. <laughs> I was a fucking cocksucker. And and I, as soon as I threw that chair, as soon as that chair bounced off the fucking wall and I looked around and I saw all of these young people that were looking up to me and I saw the fear on their faces that the fucking leader, that the captain of a submarine is acknowledging that there are holes in it and he's throwing chairs around that fucking ruined the entire day. Like, yeah, I would be so embarrassed if I did that. <laughs> dude, I was. I, I literally had to like apologize. I apologized to everybody. I had to revamp my whole thing after that. And yeah. it, it was because I was a fucking baby. It was, I was being a fucking baby. Well, I think people who have like tantrums, they don't understand how transparent it is that you just don't, you're panicking. You don't know what you're doing. You're not a leader. You know, yeah. like that's what that's what that is. And and you know, hopefully that's like a, a yeah a younger thing. That, but you see it all the time with these like very successful, uh, fully Mom. adult directors. I'm like, how does this person get away with that and get in another movie with this kind of budget? You know, mind blowing. Mind, especially the ones that win Academy Awards and they do that shit. <laughs> And you're just like, that guy's a fucking asshole. And if he's been doing it this long and he's still doing that shit, 
then what the fuck? You know, I, I just don't get it. And I've heard those horror stories from crews that have worked for those folks, not mentioning any names, but I've heard those people where they're yeah. just like working for this guy's a nightmare. And I'm like, why do you do it still? Well, Cause he wins Academy Awards. And you're like, you're just empowering that motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I feel like every director is kind of like the, the king of their own fiefdom, you know, with their uh, crews. And, and like, I mean, there's people who act like that who do lifetime movies, you know? Uh, <laughs> you mean everything that's made these days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I feel like we've been trending away from that with, you know, these leaked audio tapes and whatever mm -hmm. people you know, being held accountable. I think it was already going that way, but hopefully this, you know, coming out the other side of this pandemic and quarantine, like people are going to be so, you know, just feel so blessed to work at all. Maybe they'll, you know, really bring a good attitude to set. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, th I think it, it doesn't matter. I think at the end of the day, it's about the stress that you put on it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about how a lot of the time, well, most of the time when you start out in this business, you have to bullshit your way in because mm -hmm. there's no way to practice being a director. There's no way to practice being a director of a crew of 50 until you do it. Right. And so in the beginning, you kind of got to go in there and go, yeah, I can fucking do this. And then you just try to figure it out. And that insecurity that most folks have at the beginning is they try to shroud that with confidence and overconfidence mm -hmm. where it's just like, I've got all the fucking answers. And then when you start to crack that foundation of false confidence, then you get these outbursts. Then you get that that asshole fucking screaming on set kind of shit. And it takes a little while. And those of you listening, skip ahead. Like, get on the fucking step stool here uh, and understand that when you find yourself in that scenario, which I do all the time, it's best to turn to the people around you that have more experience. And it's okay on set to go, Guys, I don't know what to do here. And if if your crew is cool, they'll step right up. And most people, A, want to impress you because you're the boss, or B, love making movies and they want to finally show you what they've been working on and what mm -hmm. they understand and what they bring to it. And you can skip over being that dickhead that's throwing fucking chairs against the wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? I mean, if you if you truly don't know what to do and you're in a situation you're around people. The best advice is to just do the Kushner, you know, and, and like, just, just have that, just have like do the hustle song in your head, but just replace that with Kushner. And, and you just sit there and you just, you know, make your face like porcelain and just nothing, just a blank. And it's like, oh, that guy's, that guy's smart. He's like totally relaxed. Uh, <laughs> totally. He knows all the answers. He's yeah. like the, the ship's sinking and he's not doing, he's not even responding to it. We must be fine. Yeah. You just yeah. relax your face. People will think you know what's going on. <laughs> well, did, weren't you just talking about your issue that you have with resting bitch face? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I feel like my face is relaxed, but I guess my relaxed face is shitty. Uh, like I, got, I have to kind of like put a little muscle into my mouth to get it neutral. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, man. Um, so... How long, when did you guys start making this movie? How long ago did you guys start production on this? Uh, this was about, what was it? I feel like it, my timeline is so screwed up because of this whole last year. So what was it? Uh, it was 2019? Yeah. Uh, May and June of 2019. Mm. So we had about 20 days or so. It was like 18 plus a couple of pickups or something like that. Uh, nice. Nice. And, and then, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, you know, it was LA and, and, um, 
the, the, the thing that, you know, it was, it was a ultra low budget uh, feature and it, you know, we did half of it in LA and half of it in Idlewild. And when you're doing a ultra low budget with like this amount of cast on a location, it just like, that's where most of your money goes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we really had to race, you know, with time and, and limited crew and, but man, just everybody on this from cast to crew, it was just such like, you know, that, that's a, another just overall great feeling of everybody just doing it more for the love because they're not doing it for the money. Yeah. 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 Those, those sets are always the best. When you're yeah. when you're on those sets and the crew is just really excited to be there, uh, I love that man more so than when you you know. But it, it's just I've never had the opportunity to be on a huge, huge, huge budget. But I can't imagine walking on a set where you just don't know the fucking team and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's I was just, on a set. Uh, I uh, acted in a uh, movie. Oddly, uh, uh, it's called Cop Shop, directed by Joe Carnahan. Mm-hmm. They had sixty or a hundred people. Like in Atlanta, and I was just like, like there was like a team meeting about COVID, and you just kept, like we met in this big warehouse, and people just kept coming in and coming in, and everybody's distanced in there. It was like a huge hangar, but I'm just like, all these people are doing something, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, what's your name and what do you do? And it's got to be crazy, and yeah. and to be like I've heard because I've had a bunch of friends back in Boston. So I had a bunch of friends that worked on like The Departed and that worked on a lot of Scorsese stuff and how he works as a director these days because he's fucking Martin Scorsese and anybody that walks by thinks he's their grandfather and they want to talk to him about everything. And so the guy supposedly uh, like secludes himself away from his team and he like locks himself in like a little van when they're doing stuff out in the street and he tries to stay as focused with his cast and as into the movie as possible. That's got to be such a weird, a weird way to direct. Like for, yeah. for me, it's about like all the people. Like I love it. I'm a dude that puts on barbecues all the time. I love hanging out with strange folks, and I love meeting all these the the, the people and the lives they come with. And like, yeah, you know. I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, you have this podcast. Like you're talking to strangers uh, at at length. Like that is a person. You have to love people to yeah. do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you just learn so much from folks, and yeah, yeah. I spend so much of my life in a, in a world that that uh, wants you to either be black or white these days. You know what I mean? Where it's mm-hmm. like one side or the other, and trying to stay in the gray, trying to stay in the middle. And the only way really to do that is to consistently talk to fucking people and understand like where their minds are at at the moment and where they come from, and learn from stories with folks and. Um, I've just been reading this book on strangers by uh, Gladwell, which is really fascinating and how uh, most folks feel like that individually we feel like we're complicated humans, uh, but we feel like we can read strangers easily, mm-hmm. which, which is fucking fascinating. Um, and so this process, like you and me, we've never met in real life. I'm, I, like I've only seen your face on the screen, mm-hmm. um, but just to hearing your voice and listening to your story, I feel like I get to understand how you got to where you were, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and we're probably we were, we're kind of the same guy, except for you do you know a different genre. But like, <laughs> you know, we're just like these white dudes with beards that like to play pretend <laughs> and make you know fun videos. And it's totally and, true. You know, we have this hard exterior, but we're all probably very <laughs> super sensitive <laughs> because we express our feelings through you know this art form, and you know, yeah. act like we don't need anybody to like it, but we kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. There's nothing better than feeling like someone understands where we're coming from. And yeah. there's nothing better for me 
especially with horror. Like if I feel something horrific or if I see something horrific, like I, I had my girlfriend just freaking out the other day because I was watching, I got obsessed with watching all of the recent explosions over the past few years. So like that huge explosion <laughs> in like China. <laughs> wait, huge explosion. wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. So, so I've just, I was spent the night just like watching all these giant explosions, like watching, watching, watching like fireworks factories explode. And so she's in the room and she wants to spend a little time with me. So she's sitting behind me and she's just like, so empathetic and she's just feeling like god damn like those buildings just decimated and all those people went and i was just like i know and i just keep watching it over and over again and she's like she's like why are you doing this why do you keep watching i go because that initial reaction that initial reaction of fear and that initial reaction of that i'm trying to figure out why i feel it i'm trying to examine what it is that i'm feeling there so that i can recreate it <laughs> that's what i'm doing why are you sitting over my shoulder watching this with me uh but yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the google histories of people in our field are just insane <laughs> dude i did a music video years ago for this band where we pitched the idea was that uh the band was crime scene investigators and they were the dudes that showed up and took photographs of dead bodies. And so I went and I found online these books from the 50s, like all these really gorgeous uh, crime scene photographs that existed. And like they used to shoot them from above with this tripod and they're beautifully framed. They're really, really gorgeous books. But I had, I had like a handful of these tabletop, like horrific macabre books in my place and people would come over and go, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, but they're beautiful. Like, look at the framing, look at the stuff in them. And they're like, dude, that guy's fucking guts are hanging out of him. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, it's terrible that he got murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, yeah, and this is what divides us because you will like, will go down these rabbit holes with this and, and with making a short or a feature in, in this kind of horror space, like your, your mind has to be in this really dark place. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think for me, I feel like the world is already that. And I need to just kind of like figure out like a way to crack jokes. So I don't cry every day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like if I see like, if I'm like on Instagram and I see like the story of, of the dodo, you know, where this dog was like shaking because it was scared and it gets rescued. It's an, it's a happy story, but just that initial thing, I'm just like, Oh fuck. You know, and I got to go hug my dog. <laughs> like, I can't just be in that headspace all day. So yeah, I don't, I don't think horrors is a, uh, I'll never be uh, <laughs> in competition for anything. Yeah, well, dude, I also feel like you and I would probably get really uh, get along really well because you do have a cynical sense of humor about how you do your stuff. And yeah, so, yeah. Like, no, yeah. I go dark with yeah. comedy for sure, but yeah. but I am still trying to like I'm I'm breaking it down. Like, where's the joke part? Uh, yeah. And I can look at it from that angle. Like, I can't, I can't like do the shit you're doing. <laughs> See, look, you laugh at it at that point. My laugh comes later. My laugh comes when I'm showing it to an audience. And they go, oh, and I go, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's when my laugh happens. It's like, yeah. like years ago, I had roommates that were all filmmakers, and we would just torture ourselves and watch terrible videos online and literally just put a bucket in the room with us because it's like you're just going to be throwing up for hours. <laughs> that was what we did for fun. And to the point where you have like post-traumatic stress syndrome from 
where it was like, oh no, I've never, I've never seen someone beheaded in real life before, but I actually sat through all those fucking videos online. Jesus, of course you did. Why did I do that to myself? (laughs) (laughs) But it it isn't, there isn't a fascination with macabre for me. I think it's just a fascination with the emotional response Mm -hmm. that, that you get from being scared. And when you're trying to recreate that by using, you know, fucking stupid camera tricks, you know what I mean? Like like right. a specific lens that you're using or music cues. And if you're watching horror movies these days, there's a reason why they all feel fucking dumb and cheap. You know what I mean? Where they have all these jump scares and they're like, let's just fucking hit some strings while something jumps out of the shadows and the audience goes, Ugh! and I, I look around at that audience being so jaded and I go, you guys fucking still scared by this shit? Mm-hmm. Like I can make you some stuff that's really fucking scary. <laughs> and right. you know, and then the pitching process for that when I go in and pitch to studios and I walk in with a genuinely scary thing, they get too scared by it. And they're like, <laughs> audiences are not gonna want to watch this. And I'm like, but it's a fucking horror movie, man. Right. That's the point. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a terrible fucking horrible thing to watch. And it's a classic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, whatever. It's just me, probably because probably I'm a fucking psychopath. But, you know. No, but that, I, I'm seeing more. Oh, I got to go here. That's going to be weird. Okay. Um, I, I'm seeing more similarities with, with the, the comedy and, and uh, horror experience in that, you know, not that we get really many opportunities to watch it with a live audience these days, but like, I, yeah. you know, just, just watching your project with people and them laughing or jumping exactly when you wanted to, you know. Yeah. And, and, and getting that payoff and you know beyond performances and stuff it's even coming down to the editing it's like you're you know what we call frame fucking you know it's like <laughs> okay wait wait take three more frames off now it's funny you know <laughs> it's got funnier because of these three frames are gone you know to- uh, dude totally totally it's the same thing in horror where you're just like slice them out slice them out just see the door close right here see it here boom boom and then you play it back for something to go fuck that's scary and then you play the other clip and they go that's lame i can see it and you're like yep. yeah and then and then the other way with it too with just the tension you know for for uh you know just pulling that rubber band uh for horror or suspense and you're just like okay longer 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 they're like really pull it pull it, pull it. Mm-hmm. And, and and for me it would be just like a long take of like just cringe of just you know holding like uh, there's this there's this look that uh, Sasso gives in uh, in Film Fest that I I hold on it so long and I'm just like, and he's just got this deer in headlights face and it just it, it's never not funny to me I don't care how many times I've seen it uh, uh, I think and, I know I think I know what look you're talking about I th- I think I was laughing through the whole fucking thing too so yeah 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 there's a uh, yeah there, there's a lot of similarities to like that kind of I don't want to say like manipulation but just like yeah. Yeah, you 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 are. They call it craft. Craft, <laughs> right? Craft. Yeah. yeah, but you know, craft, thinly veiled manipulation. Yeah. Yes, craft. Yes, the, the the craft that we love so much. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's expected for me. <laughs> uh, dude, look, I know that we're on a schedule today, but um. Uh, I, I could talk to you for another two hours, man. It, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, let's let's uh, hopefully do the next one in person and, and just hang out sometime and get a bunch of weirdos around together for like some outdoor screening that's yeah. COVID safe or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm totally into it, man. I'm, believe me, 
we're at the process right now of like trying to figure out like we got to do something like there has to be like a month-long fucking party like a month-long fucking barbecue like i'm gonna get everybody together because uh <laughs> coming out of the back end of this stuff i need to be around people like i yeah. fucking do man um well look this is the part of the show where i usually turn to the guest and ask them for some advice for our young listeners and uh for those of you listening like i said before our fan base, you guys need to see this movie. You guys are going to love this movie. This movie is going to become a classic for you because it's going to hit on all the things that you're going through right now. As a filmmaker, as a young artist, as, a, as an actor, uh, he does such a great job at uh, really uh, hitting those notes that, really <laughs> that affect us all in this industry. So you're going to love this movie. You got to see it. And that being said, with all these young folks listening to it, um, if somebody is going to submit to a film festival in your mind, if somebody gets accepted to a film festival, what do you think is the right attitude to have when you go into it? Uh, uh, lower your expectations. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, I'm not being an asshole. Like I, you know, that's kind of what disappointment comes from, right? It's just like unmet yeah. expectations. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is going in with it. Like, look, I get a venue to show my movie on the big screen with an audience. Like, the, like that's it. Everything else is a, is a plus. Um, a lot of times movies don't get sold at festivals. You know, they happen before or after or some other way. So don't don't go in there thinking like, oh, I'm going to, you know, win all the awards and get, you know, some record breaking deal. Um, so that's that's that would be my advice for film festivals specifically. So there it is, another episode in the can. Um, I cannot say enough great things about Marshall, and I cannot say enough great things about his movie Film Fest. And a big shout out to our pal Rick Darge for uh, hooking this up. He is the one that uh, sent Marshall my way, um, and uh, thanks to Rick for uh, making this show happen. Like I said, friends, family, listeners, you guys are the ones that uh, send us guests for the show. And I love it, you know, because it's a fucking grind, guys. I got to bang out one of these every week, you know, on top of like being the charismatic person on the microphone. I also have to produce this stuff, and pull these things together. So sometimes I need ideas. And uh, luckily we haven't run out of ideas because everybody is sending us who they want to hear on the show, who they would like to hear me fumble through an interview with. So I appreciate it. I love you guys. Um, and like I said, click the links below, check out his film, watch his movie, watch it with some of your friends, because there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of lines that are gonna become quotable lines from this film. You guys are gonna really love it. I'm telling you, you're gonna love it. Um Yeah, and other than that, hope you guys are staying healthy, hope you guys are staying inspired. And look, don't take my cynicism. Uh, to heart, you know what I mean? Like, even if I may feel certain ways about film festivals and film submissions, I'm not saying that you shouldn't submit your films. I'm just saying be smart about your expectations. And I think that's what Marshall was saying on the show as well. Don't think that just because you get in, it's going to change the fucking world. Don't think that just because you get an agent or a manager, suddenly everything's going to happen. If you go into it with those expectations, you're just going to be pissed. You're just going to become bitter, right? And I'm a person climbing out of that bitter hole. So I'm just trying to let you guys know 
that if you change your expectations, you look at each and every one of these things as little steps. Getting into a film festival is great. Watching a movie with fucking strangers, people that aren't pitying you to watch your film, people who don't know the amount of energy and heart that went into this thing, and they're just going to sit there and give you an, a general, accurate reaction to your work that is invaluable, especially if you're trying to learn, right? Because we get so caught up in the details. We get so caught up in our fucking shit. We think we're funny, right? Wait until you hear strangers laugh at your jokes. That's empowering. That's incredibly empowering. Or if they don't laugh at your jokes, then you can see why not. And you can learn from that. And you can change that. Right? So that's the good thing about it. You meet other like-minded people that are going through the same thing. That's what I love about his movie is that I feel like it's made for us. For the, for the, for the group of us that all go through this shit. And granted, you'll love it if you don't work in the business, you'll laugh at it. But for us, all those inside jokes, all those little nods and the reactions that people have in it, you'll know what it's about. All right. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm going to go so I'm not monopolizing our living space here at the house. Uh, as always, please, if you want to listen to new episodes, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. We've curated all the episodes of the show for you. Um, and the, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening.